From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Watch, your source for news and analysis on policy, politics, and culture from a biblical perspective. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, and Washington Watch starts now. We start with the recent developments regarding the FBI informant who disclosed damaging information about Hunter Biden and the big guy. Last week, Alexander Smirnoff was charged with making false statements to the FBI. This again raises concerns about trust in the Department of Justice. Now, President Biden was asked about this on Friday. Here's his response. He is lying and it should be dropped. And it's just been a it's been an outrageous effort from the beginning. What potential implications might this new development have on the ongoing congressional impeachment effort? Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry, a House Oversight and Accountability Committee member, will provide us his perspective. As Congress moves through the appropriations bills, one appropriation bill contains a policy writer that would restrict the sale of abortion pills through the mail, which the Biden administration is pushing as a way to circumvent state pro-life laws. Well, a report released last week appears to up the ante, stating the abortion pill is extremely safe. Is that so? We'll talk with Dr. Ingrid Skopp, Vice President and Director of Medical Affairs at Charlotte Lozier Institute. And we told you about a team of missionaries in Nicaragua imprisoned following a nationwide crusade. We've been working with Britt Hancock, the head of Mountain Gate Ministries. Uh, He joins us with an update a little bit later. And finally, the International Society of Civil Liberties and the Rule of Law reported last week that more than 8,000 Christians were killed last year in Nigeria. But, but, the Biden administration refuses to identify the bloody country as a country of particular concern, a formal designation which would allow the imposition of sanctions on the government. I appeal to the uh, president and to our secretary of state reinstate, redesignate country of particular concern. There's no country on earth that more is more deserving. And then we will see, I think, an amelioration of this terrible carnage. That was New Jersey Congressman Chris Smith last week at a subcommittee hearing of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Pastor Carter Conlon, general overseer of Times Square Church in New York City, recently spent two weeks in Nigeria speaking with church leaders. He joins us later here on Washington Watch. From the halls of power to the front lines of cultural battles, Washington Watch is your platform for informed discussion and meaningful dialogue, all from a biblical perspective, so that you can stand up, speak up, and stay engaged. Well, as I mentioned, the U.S. Department of Justice has charged FBI informant Alexander Smirnoff alleging he gave false information regarding the international business ties of Joe and Hunter Biden. Now, you'll remember Smirnoff reportedly informed the FBI and Congress that the Bidens benefited financially from helping to get fired the Ukrainian prosecutor investigating the energy firm connected to the Bidens. Now, President Biden bragged on camera about threatening to withhold aid until this prosecutor was fired. Now, according to House Oversight and Accountability Committee Chairman James Comer, this arrest doesn't change The bank records and the witness testimony investigators uncovered revealing that the president participated in his family's business dealings. 
Now, given this administration's record of weaponizing the Justice Department to target political opponents, what can we make from these charges? Joining me now to discuss this and more, Congressman Scott Perry. He serves on the House Oversight and Accountability Committee. He also serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. He represents the 10th Congressional District of Pennsylvania. Congressman Perry, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Well, it's great to it's great to be with you, Tony. And I just listened to your lead up, and I do wonder. It's it's at least interesting. It's worth questioning, I think, why the FBI is interested in Smirnoff regarding allegedly false statements when they seem to have no interest in Christopher Steele for allegedly false statements. They literally have no interest in many uh, members of their own organization that have sat before members of Congress in official hearings, ha- having having taken the oath to tell the truth and only the truth, who have then given us false statements. But somehow, for some reason, this guy, one of their top paid, if not their not if not their top paid informant, suddenly on this issue gets arrested by them for making false statements about this case. I think that's at least worthy of question. And I also say, I certainly back up the chairman to say, look, even even if this is one piece of the uh, of the puzzle regarding the Biden's influence peddling scheme and the millions of dollars that have come from foreign countries, this is just one piece and one small piece. It doesn't include the bank records. It doesn't include the millions of dollars. It doesn't include the myriad countries. It doesn't include a lot of things. So while he would like it to just go away, I'm sure um, I don't see I don't see any relenting just based on this. If, if not, if anything else, I think it might further what should be an investigation into the FBI, uh, who has, has taken a very long time to deal with what we know are provable crimes offered by Hunter Biden's laptop. As a matter of fact, the FBI was involved in allegedly the cover up telling the, Uni- the people of the United States that it was Russian propaganda. Where's the investigation into that, Tony? You raise so many valid points, Congressman Perry. I, I want to try to get to a couple of them. You know, my first response to this actually troubles me more than the facts of the case, because my initial response and my response right now is I don't trust the Department of Justice. And that's a very frightening place to be when we cannot trust our own federal government to uphold our rule of law by fairly adjudicating and charging individuals with crimes. I mean, this on its face, as you pointed out, where where were where were the FBI agents in going after others who lied against uh, President Trump, who lied against members of Congress? Where were they then? Yeah, it's uh, unfortunately I'm at the same place you are, Tony. I've always, I grew up revering the FBI, the Department of Justice, law enforcement in general. And unfortunately, our trust and our faith in these institutions has been shattered, not because we shattered it, but because they shattered it through their actions. And unfortunately, because of that, it is right and it is appropriate and it is necessary for us to ask the question and to be skeptical about these claims. And as we say this, we see this two, as we call it, the two-tiered system of justice going after political opponents on one, in one case and in, in other cases can't seem to be bothered to take a look at anything which is right in front of the American people and they can see the disparity. 
And so, uh, so I think I think I'm going to remain skeptical, and and we're just going to continue proceeding until we actually know the truth for ourselves. So just to, to to kind of dissect this a little bit, he's so he's charged with lying to the FBI now it, it, it related to this case. But that doesn't mean that all that he said was a lie. There were certainly certain things that he may have said that were not truthful. Uh, but the standard of lying to an FBI agent is actually not very high. That's where we see them going after a lot of people saying that they claiming that they lied uh, to them. But as you pointed out, as as the chairman pointed out, Chairman Comer, you now have bank records. You have a lot of other things that say there is a lot here. That's, that's exactly right, Tony. And, and, and like I said, this is just one small piece of a very large puzzle for which, for which, by the way, I'll remind you, it's not only the Biden family that has been thwarting our efforts to find the facts and get to the and to get to the entire truth. It is the agencies, including the Department of and the Department of Justice, uh, the, the Department of Justice and the FBI that have been thwarting our efforts. And you would think, even though they're the executive branch, in pursuit of the truth, they would be willing to provide the documents and the information that we have requested over a long period of time. So, so again, um, you know, I watched a, a guy that uh, that pledged his service to in uniform to the United States of America, and particularly in, in the intelligence arena, be set up by the FBI and nearly sent to jail, had his life destroyed, bankrupted. And, uh, and, and and that, unfortunately, is also the track record of the Department of Justice and the FBI. So in this case, they come to the matter with uh, with unclean hands and are right. deserving of the scrutiny that they're getting. Well, and I, I'm certain that the committee will follow that and look at the facts and determine, you know, what's here. And so I have I have right. more confidence in the congressional oversight than I do in the Department of Justice by by a long ways. Now, I want to switch topics. You serve yeah. on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Let's talk funding for Ukraine, Israel sure. and Taiwan. That's going to be facing you when you come back after this uh, break. President Trump has suggested foreign loans as opposed to foreign aid. Now, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham discussed this yesterday on Face a Nation. I want to play this clip and get your response. Clip one, please. We're $34 trillion in debt. Uh, Ukraine has minerals. They have a lot of resources. Israel uh, has a strong economy. They've been hurt badly by October the 7th. Taiwan is a pretty rich nation. Why don't we do this? Make a favorable loan to all three of these allies. Uh, let them pass back when they can, if they can, because we're $34 trillion in debt. That's the Trump idea. Does that approach stand a chance in the House? Well, it should stand a chance. As you know, we did pass a funding bill for Israel that was that was completely funded using programs that are unnecessary, that are overfunded and where the money's not being used. The Senate rejected that. So we could pay for it. But at a minimum, uh, and this is one of the few times that I agree with Senator Graham, we went over thirty four trillion dollars at the at the first of this year. We're going to be at thirty five trillion dollars in debt before May or during May. The American people want their country taken care of as well. It doesn't mean we don't want to help our friends and our allies that are in trouble wherever they are. But we also have to be able to afford to pay our bills. And Americans right now can't afford their groceries or to pay their credit card bills. And so a little bit of an accountability and at least the prospect of ever being paid back for the aid and assistance that, United, that the United States has provided over a long term is a proposition that I think is, is, is it's time has come of age. 
Um, and if, it, you know, like I said, this is a country at war, so or a couple countries at war or on the brink of war. So there's a chance we will never be paid back for this. But right now, under the current provisions, there is no chance whatsoever right. of ever being paid back. And that's just irresponsible. I, I mean, I, this is what I like about President Trump is that he thinks outside the box and he puts ideas on the table that, you know, initially shake Washington, D.C., because they're not accustomed to thinking differently. But I, I, I think this is an approach that has uh, it, it's a valid approach. I think it's a valid approach, too. And again, I think it recognizes the troubles that the United States currently faces like a wide open border with people on the terror watch list streaming in and whatever that might portend. And so, you know, before you go handing out money to other countries, you got to make sure that you can afford to do so. Right now, our citizens that pay the bill can't afford this. Right. One hundred percent agree. We need to take care of our own country first, secure that southern border. Congressman Scott Perry, always great to uh, see you. Thanks so much for taking time to be with us on this President's Day. Well, thank you. God bless you. All right. Senator uh, Congressman Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, former chairman, by the way, of the uh, House Freedom Caucus. When Congress returns next week, front and center is going to be, once again, the border issue. And as uh, Congressman Perry brought up. So if you'd like to sign that petition, we're going to be delivering that next week to Republican leaders in the House. Text the word border to 67742, 67742. All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about the abortion pill. The left is teeing up trying to say it's safe to send this through the mail with no oversight. Really? That's our discussion next here on Washington Watch. No go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. 
Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us. Be sure and check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you, as well as contact information uh, from our guest and uh, things that uh, they are discussing here on the program if you want to do follow-up. A recent study on the abortion drug, mifeprestone, that was published late last week in Nature Medicine, a monthly peer-reviewed medical journal, is getting glowing reviews from the legacy media. The study makes the claim that overall, and I'm quoting from it, 99.8% of abortions were not followed by serious adverse events. Now, these are abortions performed by the abortion pill. It goes on to say, in total... 0.25% of the patients experienced a serious abortion-related adverse event. But are these claims truthful? Or are the researchers in this study blind to the very real dangers of the drug to the mothers? Obviously, it's dangerous to the babies. But what about the mothers as well? Now, It's significant. The reason I'm talking about this this week, we've talked about it many, many times, but the appropriations bills in the House are moving forward. And this is one of the hangups. I actually had conversations, multiple conversations with Republican leaders about this because there are those that are trying to take a policy rider that's currently in one of those. It's the ag appropriations bill that prohibits this from being sold through the mail. And the Biden administration is pushing this to try to circumvent state pro-life laws. All right. That's what this is all about. Well, here to set the record straight on whether Mifeprestone is everything nature medicine and other abortion apologists are making it out to be is Dr. Ingrid Skop. She is a vice president and director of medical affairs at the Charlotte Lozier Institute. She is also a fellow of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Dr. Scott, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you again. Thank you, Tony. I'm so glad to be back with you. So first off, correct the record for us. This study claiming that mifeprestone was not followed by serious adverse events in uh, 99.8% of the cases is that true from your more than 30 years of experience as an OBGYN? I have seen so many women harmed by abortion drugs, um, and I continue to see it in Texas. Um, so on the ground, we recognize it is not safe. Um, 
This study, of course, is the latest in a long series of demonstrations that the pro-abortion medical organizations and the pro-abortion scientific journals are now um, publishing what they know is poor quality research in order to promote abortion ideology. Now, at the same time, are we not finding that there's an effort to try to uh, stifle any uh, scientific reviews that run counter to this narrative? We are certainly seeing that. It's it's very sad what has happened to the peer-reviewed literature. Um, in this case, this Nature uh, Medicine article, um, a quarter of the women that they gave abortion drugs to, they did not know the outcome. So that in itself should disqualify the study. If you don't know what happened to one out of four women, you cannot assume that those were uncomplicated. The women that I've cared for often tell me they did not go back to the abortion provider because they realized they'd been lied to. And so I think it's very likely that these were complicated. Um, In the United States, our data is very poor. Um, We just don't have any mandatory data collection at a federal level. At Charlotte Lozier, we published a very high-quality study where we did not lose any women to follow up because we looked at the data in the 17 states that pay, um, that allow their Medicaid dollars to pay for abortion, and we were able to determine all of the events that occurred afterwards. What we found is that one out of 20 women after abortion drugs presented to an emergency room with a complication related to those drugs within a month That's very high quality data. We didn't lose patients to follow up. And yet our studies have been targeted. And these other studies that are obviously just ideologically driven have been allowed to pass without any scrutiny from the pro-abortion media. So, Dr. Scott, that brings up a, a really good point. If you're looking at a study and one quarter of the individuals that you're studying just kind of drop off, how how can you make these claims that it's 99.8% safe? I mean, how, how can you do that? Well, you, can, you cannot. And that's not, anybody who knows anything about scientific research recognizes that is a problem. I would also say they were only looking at what they called significant adverse events, which they defined as a woman requiring a blood transfusion, admission to the hospital, a... Um, intra-abdominal surgery for a ruptured ectopic pregnancy or death. I mean, of course, those are horrible events, but there are so many common complications that they ignored completely. Most commonly, approximately 6% of women require surgery because their body cannot expel all of the pregnancy Mm -hmm. tissue. That's very traumatic to women. Women who hemorrhage but don't lose half of their blood volume so that they require a transfusion are completely ignored. Women who have an infection requiring antibiotics, as long as it doesn't cause them to end up in an ICU, are ignored by this study. And of course, no one is looking at the mental health complications that follow abortion. And yet we know very, very common uh, for women to have anxiety, depression, substance and alcohol abuse, self-harm. High quality studies have demonstrated a woman is six times as likely to commit suicide in the year following an abortion than if she'd given birth to her child. But these studies, of course, ignore all of those complications. Because it doesn't fit the narrative and it doesn't fit the push that this administration 
is uh, involved in in trying to make these abortion pills available through the mail like um, anything else you could get on Amazon. Dr. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. I'm sure we're going to be following up on this as uh, Congress, I, I believe in the days ahead, is going to be debating this and trying to take it out one of the, as uh, one of the policy writers. Appreciate the great work you do at uh, Charlotte Lozier. Thank you, Tony, for having me on. And, and we just need to keep fighting for women and their unborn children. Absolutely. And we will. Well, folks, um, be, be watching because this is going to be coming back up. What, what it's trying to do, again, I want to underscore this. All those states that have passed pro-life laws, the Biden administration is wanting to undercut them and sell these pills through the mail with very little medical oversight, putting women and, of course, babies at risk. Don't go away. We're back with more after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Monday, President's Day. The website, TonyPerkins.com, resources there for you. Also, if you'd like to join the border petition, text the word border to 67742. Uh, That number, by the way, we use it for uh, pretty much every issue we deal with. So just you just need to put in the keyword. So in this case, it's border 67742, and you'll get a link to the petition. So earlier this month here on Washington Watch, I shared with you the ministry of Mountain Gateway, the organization that led massive evangelistic gospel campaigns in Nicaragua that reached a million people, one-sixth of the, uh, the country's population. Mountain Gateway initially 
initially had government support, but the left in Nicaragua turned on them. Now the country's attorney general has jailed 11 innocent Nicaraguan Christian pastors and charged three innocent U.S. citizens with crimes. Well, joining me now with an update is Britt Hancock, a missionary to Nicaragua with the Ministry of Mountain Gateway. Britt, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you so much. So great to be back with you. So, Britt, uh, we, I guess about two weeks ago, you know, we kind of laid all of this out and what had transpired there in Nicaragua. And then we've been having conversations on the Hill and we've had now a number of congressional leaders speak out on this. Give us the latest since we last spoke. Yes, um, we've just been having lots of meetings uh, in the halls of Congress uh, with members of, of both houses, both the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. Um, uh, things are moving along. We have a, a growing coalition of people that are concerned about the, the religious freedom, religious persecution issues, and uh, the human rights violation issues that are, are happening right now in, in Nicaragua with our people specifically. But um, as the State Department told me, you know, there there are that they believe that there are other evangelical pastors imprisoned right now that really have don't don't have a voice, like as many as maybe up to a hundred other other pastors and prisoners of conscience there that that uh, they've jailed uh, for for similar reasons. And so, you know, the, this it it seemingly the the activity of this government is getting more and more repressive and um and so it's very concerning in a broader way so let's talk specifically about those Nicaraguan nationals that are a part of your ministry that were a part of these crusades how are they holding up what's the latest that you've gotten from them well we don't really have much of a way to communicate with them um we we can't verify really their their health condition. Uh, there's been two hearings where where our our legal representation down there, they've uh, our lawyers seen them by video, but there, there's no like um, there's no way to communicate with them uh, other other than you know the the lawyers seeing them on a video screen, and so. Um, they can hear her, but she can't hear them. And so uh, it's very concerning because it's kind of reduced to sign language to sort of sort of figure out how they're doing. So in reality, we, we don't we don't really know for sure how they are uh, other than what we can assess in a five minute conversation with them. And uh, so we're very concerned and, and, and we're extremely concerned about. The, you know the the married couple that's in prison because the mother um, is separated from her two children and they're they're young. One of them's four months old and the other one's two two and a half years old. And um, and so we're just doing everything that we can to try to uh, pressure the Nicaraguan government into releasing them to a safe country, particularly mom and kids. You know, right. those those two children are U.S. citizens and they're stuck there in Nicaragua. Any movement at all from the Nicaraguan government? Not that we can tell right now. Um, the 
the the Alabama delegation in the House of Representatives uh, drafted a letter to the Nicaraguan ambassador um, that got uh, pretty strong support, 58 congressional signatures and uh, from both sides of the aisle, so it's bipartisan. And uh, we, we hope to grow that footprint, and, the, and that letter is – you know, um, is going to the Nicaraguan ambassador to the U.S. And so if uh, I'm sure that they've seen like a social media posts of Congressman Westerman going on the House floor and and uh, and condemning their actions, there's a resolution right now making its way through Congress uh, that they hope to pass once they come back in session. And so uh, and we hope that, too, that condemns pretty strongly Nicaragua's behavior in our situation. So those, those things, they're, they're, if they don't know now, they're, they're about to know that officially the, the Nicaraguan government. Very, very quickly, 30 seconds. How can our viewers and listeners here in America be praying for you, your ministry and your ministry leaders? Please, please pray for all of our, our, uh, our people imprisoned in Nicaragua today. Um, also, pray for us as a ministry that that and and pray for me while I'm here in Washington that we can make the right connections and contact your your congressman or your senator and ask them to take action on this on this point. All right, Britt, we'll continue to uh, to stand with you, work with you, and keep our viewers and listeners informed. Thanks so much. Thank for you so much today. All right, folks, uh, unfortunately, Nicaragua is not the only place where we're seeing more hostility toward believers. Nigeria is another one of those countries. Pastor Carter Conlon joins me next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold 
or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. All right, well, here's some breaking news. All right, Washington Watch is receiving an award tomorrow at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. It is the Television Impact Award. The Television Impact Award is presented to a person, station, program, network, or ministry that has illustrated over time a consistent and unique impact within the Christian television industry and or to the body of Christ as a whole. So we're pleased uh, to, uh, to receive this award. So I'll be on hand in Nashville tomorrow to receive the award on behalf of the Washington Watch team. So actually tune in tomorrow afternoon, and uh, Jody Heiss will be hosting for me, but I'll be joining him from Nashville. Well, our word for today comes from Exodus chapter 29. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priest. Now, the sanctification was not the product of their efforts, but the presence of God's glory. And it is the same with us. We cannot sanctify ourselves. As Jesus said in John chapter 17, we are sanctified by the truth. And who is truth? Jesus. And here's what happens when we are sanctified by the Lord, as verse 45 says, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. Well, to join me each morning at a study of God's Word, simply text the word Bible to 67742. That's the word Bible to 67742. And you can join me on our two-year journey through the Bible. Well, according to a recent report from the International Society for Civil Liberties and Rule of Law, last year, Islamic jihadists in Nigeria killed more than 8,000 Christians, the bloodiest year in the country's history. Now, this continues. This persecution continues. It dates back to 2009 when Boko Haram launched its attack that have, that's claimed more than 150,000 victims due to their faith. All of this has happened as the government of Nigeria has looked on with indifference. There is no evidence to say that the government is actually doing this, but there is evidence that the government is not doing anything to stop it. 
During my time on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, I worked with my colleagues to get the Trump administration to designate Nigeria as a country of particular concern, which is an official designation that brings with it government sanctions. However, one of the first acts, one of the very first acts of the Biden administration was to remove that designation, explaining it away as, well, this is just the effects of migration because of climate change. Really? Pastor Carter Conlon and his wife, Teresa, recently spent two weeks in Nigeria ministering to Christian brothers and sisters while witnessing firsthand the depth of their faith amidst this brutal persecution. Join me now to share what he saw firsthand. Carter Conlon, general overseer of Times Square Church in Manhattan. He also serves on the board of directors here at the Family Research Council. Pastor Carter, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. It's a real pleasure to be with you here again today. Well, you have kind of a long history in Nigeria. This is not your first trip there. You've done a lot of work there. So you're aware of the persecution in Nigeria prior to this trip. Um, What are you seeing there in Nigeria? are, Are things deteriorating? Is it becoming more dangerous as the numbers show us to be a Christian? Yes, I would say so, because, um, you know, the problem as we saw it, of course, is, is limited to our interactions that we had with the people there. But according to what they're saying, the radical Islam is making huge inroads into Nigeria right now. And, of course, we know that Islam is generally uh, foisted upon the people. There's, there's not really given a lot of options to, to, you know, critically think about whether or not you'd want to embrace that viewpoint. And what's happening with the churches is there's an alarm now among the Christian people, and they realize to some extent that the gospel that they have embraced over the years, which focused largely on self-improvement and uh, wealth and success and such like, is insufficient to push back against this onslaught that's coming against the nation. So we had the privilege of being there both in Abuja and Lagos, uh, speaking to uh, quite a number of pastors on the topic, essentially, of returning to biblical Christianity. For we recognize that without, without the power of God, one pastor put it this way, that in, uh, in their estimation, within 10 to 15 years, uh, Nigeria will be a Muslim nation if the, if the Christian church does not have a spiritual awakening. This is quite significant because Nigeria is the most populous country in Africa, in the African continent. And how this works out in Nigeria is going to have an impact upon that entire continent. So was the church more culturally Christian? And and this is now really kind of a refining testing time for them where they're having to, to, to really look into their faith and what they really believe. Yeah. Just even in their own literature, I was quite surprised by it, but the literature they put out in this rather large convention basically declared themselves to be corrupt, as corrupt as the society around them, that uh, somehow the foundation of Christianity, if it ever was really established on anything solid, has eroded from underneath them. What really happened is that Nigeria, being a considerably poor nation in some respects, embraced um, some of the gospel that came out of America, not all of it, but some of it, that really focused on personal success and prosperity. And looking at America itself, a lot of the people said, well, if these are Christians, then it must be God's will that we're always successful and happy and healthy and, and wealthy and all of this other stuff. But 
that gospel led to a powerlessness among the people and a fear now that's actually opened their hearts to what is the real message? One of the sessions that I, I spoke on, it took two hours to do it, was basically what is the message of the cross and have we deviated from it? And having deviated from the message of the cross, have we actually lost the power of God in our presentation? So with this, um, really, it's the second largest genocide that we see in the world, followed, uh, led only by Syria, where we've seen over the last decade uh, many people who are not Muslim being killed. Are, 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 Christ, are people leaving the church uh, and, and dropping their identification with Christ out of fear of becoming the next victim? Well, I, I would I would say in the north they are uh, because we've heard reports of uh, militants coming into churches and giving the believers there the option of converting to Islam or being killed right on the spot. So, that, but that's up in the north. Um, there's a there's a deep fear where we were in the capital city and in Abuja that what's encroaching itself in that part of the country is coming their way unless they can find a way to actually push back on that. And, of course, part of that is getting the right people in office. And the other part, probably the larger part, is actually preaching the real gospel of Jesus Christ and, and believing God for a spiritual awakening among their own people. That's what we were there for. Um, I'll tell you, it's not a trip for the faint of heart. Actually, our, our tires on our convoy were spiked in one, one instance. Um, we were surrounded by uh, young men and uh, Thankfully, we had a we had a security with us with uh, high powered weapons front and back of our convoy. When they stepped out of their vehicles, everybody backed away from our van. It's really a risky place to be right now. Kidnapping has become an industry. While we were in Abuja, two busloads of people coming into the city were kidnapped and taken en masse to nobody's quite sure where. Um, they've recently hired 50,000 vigilantes to start going after these kidnappers. Now, I, I don't know what their definition of vigilante is. It doesn't sound good, but this is the way they're at least trying to approach the the poverty and the violence that's coming into that society. You know, it, um, it while not as extreme, it does sound similar to what we're facing here in the United States from a standpoint of the church becoming uh, you know, more in line with the culture than standing strong on the Word of God, but recognizing that there's a need to return to biblical truth, to live out that truth, teach it in our homes, to teach it to our children's, our children to, to, to preach it in our churches, but at the same time, also influence our government, be involved, elect individuals who, like what we see here in Nigeria, is that they are indifferent to the plight of Christians, we have really, really the same, uh, again, not, not as extreme, but, but the same situation here in the United States. Well, it's the same spirit. I mean, we're living in an age now, Tony, of just rank godlessness. Uh, my personal belief is that you and I are witnessing the final onslaught, may I call it that, against the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's going worldwide uh, debauchery is bec- is becoming celebrated. Um, people of uh, biblical truth are being vilified. Um, anybody holding a Christ-centered or biblical-centered opinion on any topic is now in danger of losing their employment in the marketplace. Um, we're also living at a time where we need a spiritual awakening in this nation. And the only way I know is to come back to, you know, I, I've often said to the students here in our Bible school, when, when all else fails, read the instructions. 
It's all there. And God tells us exactly what we need to do, how we need to pray, what our lives should look like, what our message really is. And when we get back to that, there's a promise. There is a promise in the Word of God that we can see another mercy moment in our time. So, Pastor Carter Conlon, kind of a two-part question here. Uh, Number one, based upon what you saw in Nigeria, how can Christians here in the United States be, number one, praying for them, but our, our prayers need to take action? Faith without works is dead. We need, so So, how do we pray? What action should we take? And then the, the follow-up to that is, what are the takeaways for application here in the United States? Well, in this, in this regard, you know, that when the, the, the Scripture says, when the wicked are ruling, the people mourn. And there's a huge difference when righteous are in a, the righteous are in authority. We need to pray for a spiritual awakening in this nation, and we need to pray for God to give us leadership in the church and in the nation that will bring his name to honor one more time. I fully believe that's possible. I believe it's possible if we put our feet into action. It's possible if we start lifting our voices and declaring what we believe to be truth without compromise, no matter what the personal cost, standing for the truth. And, of course, putting right people in right places who can make a difference in the way that the laws are uh, both uh, crafted and implemented in the nation. And uh, realistically, that's that's the takeaway from, from Nigeria. You see, what's happening in Nigeria is they realized a little bit too late that they've been behind their, the eight ball in their dedication to godliness, uh, to the message of the word of God. They, they, they let it slip from their fingers, just like we did in America. Now they're paying the price for it. Now they have leadership, as you say, that's indifferent to their plight. Um, Islam is being forcefully implemented in some parts of the country and uh, starting to infiltrate almost every area of government in the nation, too, as well. It really is a it really is a perilous time for Nigeria. And I believe it's also a perilous time for us here in the United States. If if we have the courage to wake up to it and the courage to begin to pray and start moving into the actions that we need to take. You know, it's so obvious when we look globally, uh, what is happening. And I do think it is, as you said, it is a spirit that is being unre- it being released, whether it's in the Middle East and what we saw in Israel uh, with uh, Hamas coming into Israel, invading Israel. There is this there is this uh, onslaught of of evil and, yes. and the same atrocities are being perpetrated there in Nigeria. Evil has been unveiled. And our spiritual weapons, number one, are, are, are to pray, stand against it with the word of God. But it also requires the engagement. I, and, and this is one of the big challenges we have at the Family Research Council when so many Christians do not show up to vote at election time. And they allow policies like we're seeing from this administration. Number one, that in the previous administration, uh, I was successful with my colleagues at the USERF Commission to get Nigeria designated as a country of particular concern, which brought with it sanctions, which got the attention of leadership there for a period of time. This new administration dropping that. And then when we look domestically pushing this abhorrent uh, material and policies on states, on children, on our schools, Elections have consequences. And as Christians, we've got to be informed in voting. 
Well, that's what David Wilkerson used to say to Times Square Church, and uh, he encouraged me to say the same. He would say, folks, because considering it was New York City now that we're pastoring, and I think you understand the implications of that, but he used to say, folks, you need to vote in the upcoming elections. All of you need to vote, and you need to vote. If you are a Bible-believing Christian, you need to vote your value system. And then he said, once you do, be prepared to stand before God one day and explain how that person that you voted for looked like you and was the embodiment of your values. And he says, understand that you will give an answer for it one day. I encourage the Christian people out there, if ever there was a time to pray, it's now. If ever there was a time to stand, it's now. If ever there was a time to vote, it's now. Get out and vote because the future now depends on it. Pray, vote, stand. You're absolutely right. The future does depend on it. Pastor Carter Conlon, always great to, uh, to see you. Thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Great to talk with you, Tony. God bless you. Pastor Carter Conlon, General Overseer of Times Square Church in New York City, also a um, member of the Family Research Council Board. All right, some action items there. I mean, we've got a lot to pray for. You've heard it on this program today. Nigeria, Nicaragua, Washington, D.C. But also to, to be registered and to be voting. We're in primary season, all right? Register, be informed, and vote. And, of course, this fall, big election which will determine a lot of these policies. This is why we're involved. We have to take a stand for righteousness. All right, folks, out of time for today, but thanks for joining us. And until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.